everything that is now a great success. At the time, everyone told me it would fail. And at Disney, I remember my managing director at the time saying, success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast. Thank you for inviting me on. And thank you for coming on. I've actually really been looking forward to getting you onto this podcast. As you know, I've known you for quite some time and you've been a huge part of me opening a business and you've got a really strong strategic mind. And I'm really keen to share a bit about you with our guests and find more about your journey as well. So I'll start with telling the audience a little bit about you. Okay. So Elizabeth McIntyre is the current Group CEO for Think Brick Australia, the Concrete Masonry Association of Australia and the Australian Roofing Tile Association. Elizabeth has had an amazing career journey from previously being marketing director for Walt Disney during the highly acclaimed High School Musical release through to transitioning into a new industry and kicking some amazing goals in the process. She was responsible for launching the high school musical franchise and its then unknown stars in Australia. Also, through her leadership and strategies in a new industry, Elizabeth was able to bring a market share back for Facebook and create renewed architectural engagement with masonry, which has since received international acclaim. Those who know Elizabeth and see her transformation recognize her enthusiasm and that she has always tried to dare greatly. Elizabeth is a graduate member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and Chair of the Building Products Innovation Council. She holds a Bachelor of Business from UTS, a Master's in International Business from Macquarie, and has most recently completed senior leadership courses at Harvard Business School. Welcome, Elizabeth. Oh, wow. I'm going to get you to go into PR for me. Thank you. <laughs> You've had an amazing journey. And I know I mentioned before, I've, I've learned a lot from your strategic vision, mentoring, coaching, and real way of being able to showcase how things can be implemented. So you're definitely a person that's able to demonstrate that across multiple industries. I'm really keen and I was really keen to discuss more in the podcast today, your journey. Mm -hmm. And you started in one industry, moved into another. Tell us about some of the, I guess, significant moments that led you to where you are today. Okay, sure. I think it probably all started with work experience. When I was growing up, I was a competitive swimmer and I was outgoing and I remember someone in the swimming team at school said, you should go and work for this sports marketing firm. It was called Sports Marketing and Management and they're still around today. And they used to joke at the time that the only degrees in the office was the temperature because it was really just this kind of new area of where there was obviously team management and sports sponsorship and I think everyone back then was really kind of feeling their way. So I went and did some work experience with them and whilst I was there they said you know you've got a really outgoing personality obviously I was loving sport and really passionate about the industry and they said you'd be really suited to go and do business do a bachelor of business and at the time the degree to do was UTS because there was a huge practical component there. 
So that was really influential for me. And I actually kept going back there, just working for free when you did that, when I grew up. And and then just learned so much and had some wonderful experiences. I went on to UTS to do a Bachelor of Business majoring in marketing. Mm-hmm. I sub-majored in sports law mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that degree. But that was around the time of the Sydney Olympics. And I don't know why, but I thought at the time that once the Olympics were over, I wouldn't have a job. I don't know why I had that narrative or belief because it's obviously there are people that go from Olympics to Olympics, but yeah. I did. And so when I finished university, there was this opportunity for me to go into the finance industry and mm-hmm. join a small firm and do all their marketing. Ironically, that did a lot of sports sponsorship. So I went and I did that. And then from there, I guess I probably followed my curiosity. And I mm. think that's one thing that I've really You know, if there's things that you're curious about or finding out how they work, I was really curious about loyalty programs and what the value of a point was Mm. and indeed what the point of a point was. And so I went and worked for a marketing company called Pinpoint and they ran all of the um, credit card loyalty programs for Qantas and at the time I think Ansett was involved but it was mainly for Qantas. And so I did that and then I think for a couple of years and then another really big moment, I guess, in my career was having that financial industry experience. I was asked to help out a syndicate that was trying to raise capital for a capitally guaranteed financial product called Orb. And one of the directors that was working in that used to run the Campaign Palace, which was an advertising firm in Australia in sort of the 80s and 90s. Mm. He was really passionate about motorsport and had all of the contracts for Formula One around the world, Mm -hmm. NASCAR in the US, and was looking to try to get the Ford V8 supercar sponsorship in Australia. Mm. We worked on this couple of guaranteed product together and we raised 80 million with that. And then he said, look, could you come in with me and see whether we can get this sort of Ford contract. Mm. And back in those days, it was easier for large corporates to actually purchase a service of people. And it was very common to sort of purchase a service like a travel service. So you'd have American Express travel embedded in a company. And that was sort of how the Ford V8 supercar program was. That's what we were pitching for. Mm. And that's what we went in and we won that pitch. And so it saw me move to Melbourne and be involved, I guess, in recreating motorsport to be a little bit more engaging for a younger generation. And mm. also Ford had launched this new car and they'd put all this money into their V8 supercars from the Ford Australian Open, which was tennis, yep. and they weren't selling tennis rackets or tennis balls. And so they'd put all the money into racing and then they weren't seeing any results on track. Mm. So, look, I was brought in to look at things differently and obviously not a rev head, didn't have any <laughs> idea about really fast cars. I mean, I do now, but that was sort of the mandate to turn that around. And mm. I guess that was sort of one of the pivotal moments in my career. Yeah. Mm. You've never been daunted by doing something you haven't done before. No, that's sort of like I think in one of your questions is a little bit around how have you done this? And yeah. I and I think I'm, my only advice is just don't ever be scared to do something that you don't know how to do or don't know anything about because whilst it's great to be really specialised in an industry, mm. that also brings its strengths and weaknesses. You yeah. know, if you're highly specialised, you know everything. You haven't known anything else. <laughs> I love Whereas that. if you aren't as specialised in that industry, you don't know anything and that also brings its strengths and weaknesses as mm. well. So, Because then that opens, as we've sort of spoken about before, like this podcast is all about building opportunities and creating yeah. opportunities in your life mm. and it's the fact that you're not saying no. So even if you don't know, how do you get yourself really quickly to know what you don't know 
I guess for me, it's always been, I think presence is really important. I do think particularly for women, presence is important. There's a great book by Amy Cuddy about presence. Mm. And certainly like, I'm not trying to make out that things have been a picnic for me either. When I did start at Ford, the people in the paddock, which is all the Ford team, said that they wouldn't be told what to do by me. Right. And um, that was quite confronting at the time. And mm. I thought, okay, so what am I going to do here? And so I just stood in the garages for the first six weeks. I just stood there and watched. I didn't say anything. And I could see how people were working and what they were doing. Yeah. And, you know, sort of about a month in, they started saying, oh, hey, Elizabeth, come and have a look at this or we'll explain how this works. And I think presence is so important. People can ignore you, mm. but sometimes they can't ignore you forever. And I think just that moment of trying to understand where they're coming from is really, really powerful. And when you say presence, tell me more about that. So when you curate what your presence is and when you're dealing with a pitch or you're standing in the workshops, Mm. what kind of presence should we be looking at? I think it's more just around trying to see things from other people's shoes. I think for me, I guess in my current role, when I first started as well, I had these things called listening forums. I really wanted to find out what was the biggest obstacles for our sales reps. Mm. And so I went out and spoke to them and Mm. listened to them. I think leaders really need to get amongst the weeds, so to speak, and Mm. really see how these things work. Because once you do that, then you've got some instant empathy around Mm. what the challenges are or about how tense moments are. And Mm. I mean, even with that thing with the teams, I was able to identify when not to speak to teams, Mm. you know, during their prep times. Some of these things seem really logical, but there are ebbs and flows throughout a race weekend. And even that, you could pick your moments a lot better. Mm. You've also got a really curious mind and that comes through with you not jumping to solution without going to the weeds Mm. or sitting back and trying to survey what's going on. When you look at some of the qualities you have as a leader, Mm. you've obviously been really successful and you've gone from different industry to different industry. So what are some of those core qualities or values that you've taken with you into the different roles that you think have led and helped lead to your success? I think leadership is one. I think you've got to stand up and also be prepared to back yourself. Mm. And I think in saying that as well, you've got to be able to be courageous in taking some risks. I mean, Mm. everything that is now a great success, at the time everyone told me it would fail. (laughs) And at Disney, I remember my managing director at the time saying, success is many fathers and failure is an orphan. So I feel like you've got to be prepared to be responsible and be accountable. Although I have had some occasions where things haven't gone to plan, but you mustn't lose a lesson from that. Mm. There's got to be something that you can grasp from it. And even in my current role and the overall goal and the overall vision, Mm. even if we've tried things and it hasn't worked, I'm like, cool, we tried that. It didn't work. How are we going to try something a little bit different? So constantly refining. I think one of my biggest strengths is just being able to relate to stakeholders at Mm. all levels. And that I think is really, really important because there's often some real disconnect between what happens, say, in the boardroom to what happens out there. Mm on site, in construction, on the racetrack. And those are where your most powerful allies and assets are when you think about it. A lot of companies have a lot of a Mm. huge employee base. And for me, what I recognised when I came into this role was that my most important assets were going to be people that didn't work for me, Mm. 
but were able to be my ears to the ground. And it was really around how can I help them help me? Mm. And the more that we could collaborate, the better, the better it would be. You really led in there to something I also wanted to ask you about because I think you're really good at relationships and it's clear that you've developed them across all levels, across different industries. So thinking back, and I know you don't have to say names because you don't want to offend anyone if you miss Uh anyone out, but mentors. So a lot of people in this podcast have told me some about some mentors that they've had. So I'm really keen to understand who were some of the significant mentors in your career too? Initially upfront. It was those initial people in my work experience Mm. and also I think to be open-minded about mentors in the sense that sometimes mentors are there for a moment or a season or a transition and Mm. I've tried to really, depending on the industries that I'm in, I've Mm. tried to sort out, seek out those people that are in that industry that can help guide me on different things Mm. and they've been pivotal mentors along the way but for different stages and then there's some people that I've just known all my life and they've been able to be really instrumental in saying, you know, I can do things. So I would encourage everyone to sort of see, to seek out mentors in their either company or in their industry, but there's got to be a natural click there. And sometimes you really like someone, but there's just no interest or you just don't have that click. Mm. And, And that happens from both sides. So I think being there, but my advice would always be to try to find, to ask people, because most people will always give you time, Mm. and ask their advice Mm. rather than ask them for something. Just ask for their advice. Yes. And that's a better way of going about it as well because um, I love what you said about it being a connection. It's like when you get someone to coach someone else, it's got to be a connection. It, Mm. It has to work and you have to, you can't force that often. It's just, it is or it isn't as well. So in terms of Daring greatly. <laughs> I want to talk more about that because I really love that you'd made that comment that sometimes you take big risks and they mm. don't always pay off, but there's a lesson. Mm. Thinking back, what's one of the biggest risks you've taken that didn't pay off? Because I think it's mm. important for people to hear the failings because yeah. someone looks like someone that has a career like yours, it's like, oh, you've been really successful and done mm. great things. Yeah. But then there's also those moments where it doesn't work out. Yeah. But you take lessons. I think one of my most disappointing and it didn't work. And it was really about trying to, in our industry with bricks, there's 11% of women involved. And I really wanted to sort of do something, women in masonry, or I really just wanted to try to create a forum where not only women could express themselves and feel heard, but also because most of the people making decisions about housing and what they're choosing, women. Mm. (laughs) And there was a really strong architectural, there's a lot of architects in our industry that are female that are running their own businesses. So I really wanted to create that, I guess, um, forum. And I went in to do a relationship with with business chicks Mm. and sort of collaborative sponsorship arrangement with that. And look, it just didn't go to plan. And I think in hindsight, I should have started smaller and maybe just done it in one state and then sort of spread it out nationally. Mm. Um, But it didn't catch on and eventually got a lot of ridicule from the board because of that. But I tried it, but that would definitely be one of the things I'm sad about. But if I learned from it, I thought, Probably should have done a better test case, probably should have held a lot more of the deliverables Mm -hmm. accountable. Um, 
I love that. I love that because if you take a lesson out of it, it's not a failure. It's trying something and you don't grow without trying. You're mm. not going to know. I guess going forward, there's been a lot of things. I think Warren Buffett says, you know, you don't test the water with two feet at once or something like that. Mm. And I think that's really sort of fared well for me in the sense that I'm going to say, okay, well, I'm going to test something, but how can I test this where if something happens and it doesn't work well, that we've learned something or we've achieved another goal, Mm. but there's no real harm there. You've spoken a lot about your mindset and ability to dare greatly taking risks. I'm interested in your self-confidence. Okay. So, because I think that's an important thing in business is having that presence, as you said, and being confident. How do you maintain that self-confident mindset, even in the midst of something might go wrong and in a male-dominated industry? Let's be honest. You're going to have challenges to get through. How do you maintain that self-confidence? Oh, I'm glad you think I have it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) That's what a lot of people have said. (laughs) I think Firstly, you've got to try to really listen to your own self-talk. There's a lot of doubt, I think, that in any high achiever, you know, there's always that thing that you could do better. Mm. I think you've, A, got to say that you're enough. But I think what I sort of really push myself to think is like, if anyone's going to say no, they're normally going to say no nicely. Mm. And half the time it's not a no, it's just a not now. So Mm. I really sort of feel like what's the downside and I ask the question. Mm. So I think that would maybe be how I define it. But I think it's important that you try. Mm. I love that every time you step up to the bat, you've got a chance of hitting it. If you're sitting there Mm. not doing anything, then Mm. you'll never, never know. Mm. So I've never been afraid to ask the question. And so many people are scared of failure and then they don't try. Correct. And they don't explore opportunities. There's so many people I know that had they not been scared of failure, how much richer their lives could have been Mm, as well. That's very true. So with the experience you've had, the opportunities you've created, what advice would you give? So say someone's listening right now Mm -hmm. and, you know, they envisage themselves being in a C-suite role in the future. They, They want to progress. If somebody was wanting to build doors for their life and their career, what advice would you give to them? Where should they even start? I know you mm. do a lot of reading, but really keen to understand what advice you'd give. Yeah, look, I'd probably figure out firstly, where do they want to be? And maybe start with whether that's a five-year goal or mm. an ultimate goal mm. and then kind of work back from that. Okay. One of the things that I always try to do is, as you can see, I've kept a really open mind. And I think Things like even with this Think Brick role, I wanted to move from marketing into bricks and I wanted to move into a C-suite role. And I'd put down all these things in this role that I wanted. Mm. Now, if you had told me at the time that this role would have been with the brick industry, I probably would have laughed. It wasn't saying I want a role in this industry. It was Mm. I want a role that ticks all these boxes. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. So I'd encourage listeners to set out a goal and then think about where they are currently and what Mm. they need to do to that goal Mm. and what skills they want to learn and Mm. whether they need to enhance their skills in some area. And I sort of think, think about the role that you want to get Mm. and move more to that because sometimes I think you can sort of close yourself off to opportunities if you get really, really sort of tunnel vision, Mm. you know, I want to work for this particular company. And that's all good, but there could be equal opportunities out there. And I think the more experienced I get or the older I get is that you just, there's so much, so much opportunity out there. Mm. If we were to think about what we see in front of it, it's probably 10% Mm. of what's out there. So that would be what I would encourage. And the other thing that I would encourage to do is 
really maintain your networks mm. and think about always where you're going. Mm. I think men do this really well. I don't think women do it so well. So mm. really often I think heard people say as soon as you're in your current role, think about your next role. Mm. Now, I haven't done that, but I would recommend people do that. Mm. <laughs> and why do you think women don't do it as well? What's your Because we're there to do the job and to get our halo yeah. and to overachieve. <laughs> and we assume and we'll be recognised. That's right. <laughs> and all of that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just aiming to please and really probably putting the role first mm. rather than putting yourself first, I think. Yes. You know, men are very good at doing that. But women do come from, and I'm not saying this as a anything. I love men. I've married one, had a son. <laughs> um, but I think women are just tending to do that. We're carers and all the rest of it. So we tend to put our needs second. Whereas yeah. I think if you're in a new role or if you're in a current role now, this is great. What do I need to do to do that? And also I would encourage your listeners to think about, is there anything you could do in your current role that will still help you in your next role? Mm. So, you know, like, is there a special project committee you could get on or do you feel like you're not versed in some particular area, whether it's HR or finance? How could you work closer with that environment to get a good, better understanding around it? Mm. So those are the things I'd be advising. I love that. I love being able to, and I talk to people about it all the time because you've got that opportunity in your role if you can take on special projects and other work to demonstrate that you're ready for the next role rather than just thinking, hey, if I just sit here and perform really well, someone will notice. And I think as well, like, find someone that's done what you want to do and ask them how they got there. Yeah. Awesome. Kind of what I did with you, really. <laughs> I just was like, tell me everything you know about strategy and marketing because I know none of it and <laughs> a wealth of knowledge. What are some of the biggest challenges? I know you manage a team, have been across uh, different organizations. And one of the questions I like to ask our guests, is particularly in leadership roles, is what are some of the challenges you see moving forward for the younger generations in the workforce? Mm. Because I think it's an important thing for us to look at. They've been through COVID. We've got hybrid and flexible working, that the landscape for work is changing. Yes. What are some of the challenges that you see going forward? Look, I think it's not just for the younger generation, and I love them, by the way. I think they are some of the most talented people yes. out there. And I do feel that it's not just them that needs to think about things differently, but we also do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, a lot of that is about changing my leadership style and expectations around what they value. Mm. So I guess, but you've asked me about what I would say to the younger generation. Mm. And I think what I would say is that, firstly, it's really good to get to know how to do all of the nitty-gritty because mm. there's no way that you can actually lead or understand mm. what people need to do if you haven't done it yourself. Mm -hmm. So even if it's doing these things, setting up, I mean, I say to everyone in my office, I've packed all the bags that you've packed, I've set <laughs> up. I do this because I know how long it's going to take. Mm. So later when I'm managing that, I also know if it hasn't been done or what to think of or the experience. Yes. So I would just encourage young people to get the experience, even if it seems menial. It's not mm. because that's often when things go wrong because the devil is in the detail mm. and they haven't thought about that one thing or with manufacturing, there's a process. Mm. There's that one thing that because you didn't know intimately, that's going to end up being the problem. Mm. So I would encourage that. And also what I would encourage is just more face-to-face -face contact and, yeah. and really being a part of a social community where 
flexibility is great, mm. but you are going to learn so much more yes. if you're with people yeah. and getting that experience, especially early on. Mm. I think it's really important. Mm. I think that that's the part that's being navigated at the moment is mm. it's great to have flexible work outcomes and being able to work from home, but there's a lot to be learned from listening, observing, water cooler chat and the new normal. I think companies are still figuring out how to attract people back to the office more, but how to make sure that when they're there, they're not sitting on their own because other people are working from home that they would benefit and learning from as Look, well. I think it's just an opportunity. I call it learning by osmosis, but I also think the pressure is on organisations. We try to make our workplace really fun and stimulating mm. and I put a lot of effort into that. And so we've never had a problem with people wanting to be at work. Mm. And I think that's just a lesson that mm. everyone needs to look learn and look at now from a leadership perspective as well. Yeah. What do you think it is about your workplace that is enticing or, or what are some of the things you do to make it a great place to work? I think acceptance is a huge thing, you mm. know, sort of, and I think I hire based on high performers and mm. I make that very clear when we hire the team. Mm. But also just putting those boundaries around, look, we do start maybe at traditional times, mm. but when you hear you're on and when you get to five o'clock, you know, it's all over. We're not expecting you to do things at 10 o'clock at night. Mm. We do a lot of things that I think are inclusive throughout the year for teams. And we have an employee of the month program that I really feel allows everyone to celebrate everyone's wins. Yeah. So I think there's little things and sometimes those are scoffed at or said a little bit, that's old school. But the reality is that people want to be recognised. They do. And also the team wants an opportunity to get together and discuss that and mm. get to know everyone. Mm. I think it's really important. I think so as well. You've talked a lot about your career journey. You've talked a lot about engaging workforce. I also know you're a mum though. And one of the things that I find really interesting in getting successful people on this podcast to talk about is the values that they want to see in their children. Obviously, you've had an amazing career and that's clear, but as a parent as well and things changing so much with social media and just life in general, what do you feel some of the values are that for our children to build jewels and create opportunities in their life, what should we be instilling in them as parents? Parenting is one of the hardest things I think I've ever done. And same. also <laughs> I have two children and I like to say same production team, different products. <laughs> um, you got two children that are their own person and as well, you've got to be very, very careful not to put your expectations onto yes. them. But I think in terms of what I would hope is that that I've been some sort of role model around working hard, mm. being kind to people and mm. relating to everyone the exact same. Mm. And that also I would allow them to try to be able to go out there and be courageous and do what they want to do and mm. give them the skills to do that. Mm. Mm. I think a challenge as well is letting your children fail as parents. Mm. You know, maybe looking at them going towards something, you go, well, I don't know, I think it's going to work, but mm. they got to learn the lesson too. Well, my son's just about to sit his exams and I'm looking at it going <laughs> underprepared. Um, <laughs> he's in year eight. But, you know, again, you can only do so much. You can. The hardest thing about being a parent is letting go. Oh, absolutely. And my, mine are only little at the moment. My son's just decided to sign up to cello and I'm like, oh, well, that's a big commitment at eight. Yes. Um, so that's going to be a fun instrument to, to cart to and from school. Right. But he's chosen it. So we've got to go on the journey Supportive. and just put up with the practice every night that's right. um, of cello. I did have another question, which I guess links to some of the themes that you've mentioned around the diversity in the industry you're in at the moment. But I'm keen to understand what you would like to see change in the industry by the time you retire? Are there some things that you're looking at 
changing or making better or improving. Yeah, I still don't see all the diversity on boards or in senior management. And I do feel that there is a mentality about, yeah, having the one or two people there that we've got that, so we've ticked a box. And I think it's really important. I was listening to something the other day where having women involved in management decisions just makes you more money. Mm. You know, it's a business decision. Yeah. So I'd like to see more of that. We've come so far, but not nearly as far as I would have hoped. And I honestly... I really didn't think 20 years ago that we would still be having the conversations we're having today and Mm. and it makes me sort of hope that for my daughter's generation we're not. Yeah. Have you got some ideas, I guess, or initiatives that, that you think people should be looking at, that we should be looking at as an industry as a whole? I look, I think it's getting better. I guess it comes down to, say, for you to look at even women on boards, you know, there's a 30% I think there's a 30% group. Yeah. I just really feel that we need to just sort of start looking at when the board position comes up, that there's 50%, that there's equal diversity in who we're looking at. Yeah. Because sometimes there isn't. And mm. therefore, if you're only looking at four males and one female, it's hard for everyone. So yes. I guess that's sort of one thing that I think if you change that might have better outcomes down the track. Yeah. And as well, I think just promoting women and having more of those women in leadership roles that are leadership, significant leadership roles. Yeah, I agree. And I think with what you're saying, I had a senior role recently and the shortlist was all male and one female. She did get the position eventually. So right. a, a male did get the other position and they created another role for her. But I can imagine it was challenging because she was coming from a different industry. So it was challenging for her being in the shortlist of maybe there was some people that maybe had some more experience there as well. So we really need to be honest about mm. how we're going to address it because we need to be able to get the pipeline of women coming through stronger yes. as well. So I totally agree. And, mm. and it does involve some pushing through and being able to look at a more diverse shortlist and and having that as a focus for companies too. So, look, I did want to go through our rocket round now as well well, um, because I know you're going to have a few books to mention as well. (laughs) So, favourite book? Well, my favourite book is The Alchemist by Paul Colio, so I read that once a year. Somebody else has mentioned that. What is it that you love about the book or what are some of the themes for people listening? Because this is the second mention, so I need to read this book. It's really like the hero's journey, but it's also just around listening to things and how things happen, Hmm. omens along the way, and I think, you know, that resilience, persistence piece about not giving up. Yes, yeah. which you're very good at. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Okay. And favourite, oh, this is going to be a hard one for you. Favourite holiday destination? Oh, um, I try to see the world as much as possible. So I'm always trying to list down places to go. Mm. And so I don't know whether we always go back to the same place mm. all the time. This year we're trying to see the Northern Lights. So I'm oh, really yes. into experiences. So how, how long are you going to the Northern Lights for? We're there, I think, a good week, so I hope we see them. But mm. if we don't, we'll have to try another country next time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're more about see, that's yeah, that's that curious nature, right? Mm. So you're not about going back to the same place again and again, but it's uncovering another new location. That's right. I mean, look, I do love a couple of the big cities like New York and London, but those are I do like sort of putting those things down that I want to see and achieve, and then moving on to those next things on the list. Is there some learning to be done with travel, do you find? Like, I know you're going on a holiday when you've been doing travel because I know travel is an important part of your life. Mm. Do you find you're learning as you travel? I love travel. I mean, travels, I just think, important to see 
that the world isn't all the same and Mm -hmm. how things are done differently and also just a greater acceptance of other cultures around that. And even here in Australia, you know, this I really love the beauty of landscape and the environment. And Mm. so any places that I can go where that is on display, absolutely enjoy. I mean, we earlier this year we went to Ningaloo Reef in Exmouth, Western Australia, and it was swimming with the whale sharks was one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And I'm fortunate that I've been able to do it. And I would say to everyone, do it when you can. Don't Mm. put things off. There's a book that talks about we wait to do experiences, but if you save up and you wait, then your body may not be in the condition to be able to do the experiences. Yeah. I think it's like die with nothing. It's right. called die with zero is yes. the book I just remembered. And that's what it's all about, mm. living your life through experiences. Totally agree. Fascinating. Yes. And I do believe travels is wonderful and yes. great for kids as well. Absolutely. Cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> There's only been a couple of people that said cats. <laughs> Although I've been strong in not allowing my daughter to have one, but dogs. Dogs, yes. dogs. Yeah. And coffee or wine. Both. <laughs> <laughs> they cannot choose. Yes. One gets you started, one helps you to one wine, That's right? That's right. White Christmas or summer Christmas? Both, really. I've been fortunate enough to experience both and I enjoy the aspects of both. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And what podcast are you listening to right now? I'm listening to a couple. Um, I really love the Shameless podcast. Mm. Um, those two girls do a great job with that. Mm. Um, there's another podcast called You Were Wrong About and it looks back in sort of back in time, not hugely, but just looks at some incidences that just the way they were portrayed in the media and what Mm. actually happened. Mm. And the other one I really love for inspiration I listen to in the mornings is The School of Greatness Mm. um, by Lewis Howes, and he gets a lot of really great guests on that one. Yeah, I haven't listened to it. I've heard about, is it The Shameless one? I have Mm. heard about that as well. So, And what makes you feel like you're at home? I don't know. I think probably enjoying my own backyard and having a coffee at home, I yeah. think, at the moment. Nice, yeah. nice. Mm. Uh, no dog in the backyard, so no it would be n- not full of holes and nice no. and neat backyard. No. <laughs> so you might want to keep it that way. That's right, yes. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on as a guest and I think the listeners can learn so much about your courage in being able to explore and try new things because I think people have this idea that they need to be an expert in something before they do it or they need to know a lot about something but you just don't you know you are able to curate that knowledge and then go in and uh, kick goals I mean I think I remember you telling me a story once before that was it Koshi didn't want to interview the guests from uh tell me that one oh well that was when High School Musical had launched and it was a $4 million made-for-TV movie on Disney Channel. Yeah. And Disney Channel with Foxtel at the time only had like around 23% sort of footprint throughout Australia. Yeah. And we were begging everyone to get this on because at the time television was considered one of the pillars of Disney. They've changed things now, but normally that was a theatrical release like a movie. Mm. And what happens there is that the movie then generates the soundtrack and the consumer products and, at the time, DVDs and VHSs. So, I mean, television was kind of the poor cousin. But around that time we were starting to see, like, lost and desperate housewives Mm. and television actually start leading the way Mm. for all of these other businesses. Mm. But no one really wanted to know about us. But I remember (laughs) we... We had to beg Sunrise to get us on there and now I always laugh when I see um, <laughs> how big Zach Efron has become and Vanessa and Ashley. So, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But all of those things teach you so much just around, again, asking the question, pushing for it, and mm. then that's ended up being an amazing franchise itself. But 
when Disney Channel launched that outside of the US, we were their first test market and mm. then they used that blueprint all around the world. Mm. So lots it's, of learnings. It's perfect proof as well that with any success you have or you lead a business to that there's going to be those periods where there's that level of not being sure or I'm not sure if this is going to work or I don't know if I want these people on Sunrise. And it just must be amazing to look back on that now and go, look at how the lens has changed and you just have that mindset, which I think is a testament to you, to be able to just go, no, nope, I'm going to give it a shot. I believe in it. <laughs> well, one of my favourite stories was actually with our Think Brick Awards, which is a risk in any case, but and I still don't like going to some of these corporate events where you're stuck on a table with people that you don't know yeah. and there's nothing really to talk about. And so I came up with this idea that if we did a Lego competition where people had to build something at the table, it'd allow for people to talk and something for people to do. Mm. I remember 2011, I said, I'm doing this. And one of the graphic artists working on some of our things, and he goes, oh, that's going to be an absolute disaster, Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> there's going to be Lego everywhere on the floor. Everyone's going to hate it. Da, 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 da. And I remember at the time as well, I asked, there was this guy called the Brick Man, Ryan McNaught, mm. and I asked him to come and sort of show people what they could do. Anyway, we called this competition Lego Face. And with the Think Brick Awards, we only have five awards. And mm. the sixth award on the night was the Lego face. Well, um, <laughs> you won't believe that every year after that award, which goes to a table and they win a box of Lego, it's the most highly sought after <laughs> award. And it's the one that I get the most complaints about if people don't win or do well. But, you know, that was something I did stick to my guns. And then, of course, out of it, Ryan can't come to our nights anymore because he's doing Lego Masters. So oh, I yes. feel like we trained him up as well. <laughs> So win-win for everyone. Win-win for everyone, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. My, my son would love that. He's Lego mad. We've run out of room in our house for Lego. So. Well, we did have a couple of people doing this, these ones. <laughs> Slipping the Lego Slipping and the just Lego. putting the Lego yes, into the bag. That's right. Probably, probably the mums or dads yeah. just, just, just swindling away. Yeah. I've absolutely loved having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And on. I just think you provide so much insight, energy, enthusiasm, and you know, courage. And I think that your ethos on daring greatly, it does come through in your life and your career. And you've been a huge help to me, which I'm extremely grateful for as well. I appreciate that. And it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Are there ways that the guests listening, or sorry, the listeners listening to you yeah. can support you? What are some things we can do? I know you've got your own podcast as well. So tell us a bit about how we can follow you, support you. Okay, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and, yes, we do have the Think Brick Australia podcast, yep. which is everything you need to know about bricks or <laughs> listening to some architectural journeys. We also have concrete conversations, but I'm always happy to have conversations with everyone. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, definitely get on to that Think Brick podcast, have a listen, educate yourself, and who knows, if you listen enough, maybe you'll one day win a Lego award. So. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.